Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today on the show, like Jessica, we disappeared for a while for like a messiah amount of time, but we're back to fuck with our grandkids and oh, also we're sleeping with Gurney. He's, he's your stepdad now. <laughs> Welcome to Gam Jabbar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name's Abu. My name's Leo. And Leo. Yeah. We got to finish what we started. <laughs> we have to kill him. No, we have to talk about Jessica, right? We're, is that is that what yeah. you're talking about? Uh, I was talking about the killing, <laughs> okay, but good. we do have to finish this episode oh. <laughs> too, so. Oh, thank God we're recording then. <laughs> yeah, we spent an hour and a half discussing Jessica's life. Everything leading up to basically the end of Dune. And there's more to Jessica than just that. Yeah, we promised in that episode that we would do a two-parter. Right. So this today is part two, as promised. Yeah. And the goal today is to take a look at Jessica's life from the end of Dune all the way through the rest of Frank's six novels. Right. So that having been said, spoiler warning, folks. Yes. Going into today's episode. Yes. If you have not read all six, and we're serious about all six this time, all the way through the end of Chapter House Dune, don't listen to this episode. Right. Hit pause, go finish all six books, come back and hit play. Yeah, it'll be here. It'll be here waiting for you. We're not going to take the episode down. So get through the books. They're great. We love them. And then come on back. Otherwise, listen on. Now, of course, before we dive in, Let's get some housekeeping out of the way. Sure. We got to take care of this every episode, Leo, so let's blast through it. First and foremost, a reminder, speaking of all six Frank books, we have done a book club series where we dove chapter by chapter, page by page into the entirety of the first Dune novel. Yeah. It's a 10-part series. It's available free on the public feed now for you to listen if you're interested. Right. Additionally, we are also currently reading through Dune Messiah the sequel book, and we'll be finishing that up sometime in February. Patrons get to hear those episodes now as they roll out. Everyone else will get to hear those later in February and March. Right. Now, as always, we love to hear from you. You know, we initially started the Jessica episode because of requests from listeners. So email us, send us an email, gamjabarpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you're a patron on our Discord, you can just at us. We're there. Yeah. <laughs> We're just in the server. So you can talk to us anytime. Right. Just ping us, you know, send us pictures of your dogs. We love it. Oh, I love dogs. As long as they're not chair shaped. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Never chair dogs. Speaking of the exclusive discord. Speaking of chair dogs. <laughs> and chair dogs and those book club episodes, we have 
patreon.com slash Yeah. It's where you could go and support the show and get bonus episodes, get access to book clubs as soon as they drop, be invited to our Discord and chat with us directly, and much more. Bloopers, behind-the-scenes clips, all that fun stuff. So check that out. It's a great way to support the show and to get more fun, geeky Gamjabar content. Yeah. And, as always, we have to shout out our Quisats Hatterack level members, Case Aiken and Nate Hyde. Thank you so much, guys. The support means everything. It's <laughs> it's baffling. It's honestly baffling. But it makes Gamjabar possible, and everyone's support makes Gamjabar possible. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Definitely. One more thing. We have merch. Yeah. <laughs> Gamjabarshop.com, folks. Check out that dude merch. Leo and his dad designed some incredible artwork for us to slap onto some t-shirts and stickers <laughs> and this dope enamel pin. Yeah. All of that can be found on gamjabarshop.com. <laughs> so check that out. Another great way to support the show here, support what we do, and make sure that Gamjabar continues to exist and continues to be geeky and weird for years to come. Indeed. And with that, all of our housekeeping is out of the way. Let's talk about Jessica. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about her. Oh, she's great. She is. We mentioned it last time, but to be clear, Jessica is perhaps the most important figure in all of human history. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Leto too gives her a run for uh, for her money, but he wouldn't have existed if she hadn't made the choices she made. So right, right. Let's uh, let's drive home that point. Yeah. That's that's her flex on Leto too, right? <laughs> yeah. Who gave birth to your daddy, kiddo? <laughs> Me. <laughs> what an unnecessary flex for someone with other memory. <laughs> right. He knows. She's like, who gave birth to your dad? He's like, let me ask the Jessica who lives in my head. One second. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So here's the game plan for today's episode. Yeah. Like we did with part one, we're going to try and break this conversation down into smaller, reasonable chunks. Right. Both to keep ourselves in line <laughs> and to make this easier to follow. Yeah. First, we're going to recap her life following the events of Dune. So what she does in Dune Messiah, what she does in Children of Dune, all the way up to her death. Right. And then we'll discuss sort of big picture, what her legacy is, what she left behind in the Dune universe, how her decisions affected every person in this galaxy, affected the Imperium and everyone that came after her. And what that means for this universe and this story. And how in many ways she kind of paves the road for characters in Heretics and beyond in Chapter House. Right. You know, there's this argument to be made that she, in a lot of ways, Jessica does kind of embody some of the central themes of Dune. And we'll, we'll get to it. We'll talk about that as part of her legacy. That's right. So as is usually the Emma with these sorts of things, we don't have a ton of detail about her life in between the pages of Dune. Right, right. And Dune Messiah and Children of Dune, when she's not directly on the page and a character in the story, there isn't a whole lot of lore, even in the extended universe, to fill out and piece together what she's up to, discounting some of the Brian books that he wrote later on. Sure. So we will be filling in the gaps to the best of our ability, drawing from the Dune Encyclopedia, drawing from Frank's books themselves, and, of course, this wouldn't be Gamjabar if we didn't go into way too much detail. So let's jump in, folks, and start with what takes place right at the end of Dune. So, at the end of Dune, Jessica travels back to Caladan with Gurney Halleck. And 
Over the next 12 years, between the end of Dune and Dune Messiah, a.k.a. Paul's Jihad, right. we have a few hints as to what her activities might have been, besides, like, sipping Mai Tais on the Caledonian beaches, which, <laughs> God, same girl. <laughs> like, you, you deserve right, it right. after a dusty, dusty path. <laughs> we find out in Messiah that she's kind of regularly in contact with Paul and Alia via letters. She's, you know, giving them advice, kind of keeping tabs on how things are going with the, how, how's the jihad going? Okay, okay. <laughs> how's your sister? How's yeah, the how jihad? are the kids? He's like, no kids yet. Stop asking. It hurts Tommy's feelings. She's like, right, 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 right. Uh, yeah. Oh, Gurney says hi. Paul's like, stop. That's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I've respected the man, but I'll never call him daddy. <laughs> uh, but basically she is throughout this period through these 12 years acting as a sort of remote you know phone a friend pen pal for paul in his is his empire as a kind of political advisor as a consultant in many ways the things she did for duke leto right just extending her expertise her benny jesuit training that we talked about in episode one for statecraft and the politic game, right? Uh, extending that to her son, being as helpful as she can. Exactly. And later in Messiah, when Moheim is captured by Paul, we also get another reference to Jessica. We learn that Irlan has reached out on behalf of the Bene Gesserit Sisterhood yeah. to Jessica to ask for help to try and uh, save Moheim's life because Moheim is fully convinced she will <laughs> die here. <laughs> right. Which she does. Spoiler warning. And what's interesting is that Paul makes it clear that Jessica is not on the sisterhood side, right? There was a clear break at the end of Dune. Yeah. She no longer works for the sisterhood. Right. But it does seem like she is at the very least cordial enough to remain in contact with them or respond when they reach out because Irlan says that Jessica likely won't act against Paul. And my assumption, at least there, is that she probably wrote a very polite fuck you back to Irulan. <laughs> sure, yeah. And that at least gives us a small hint that while she may have severed ties from the sisterhood, it doesn't mean she's not in communication with them. Right. So for the 12 years between Dune and Dune Messiah, that's basically what we know. <laughs> right. That for a lot of it, Jessica went off to Kaladin with Gurney and spent a lot of years writing a lot of letters back and forth with her son, with her daughter, potentially with Johnny, in order to help them run this empire, Right. obviously as an advisor, as a mother, and also to check in on this extremely worrying thing called the Jihad that is now <laughs> raging across the galaxy. More about that later. <laughs> yeah. It is worth mentioning, as I, it's kind of a side note, but I think it's significant, and I I do really like this. Um, Jessica, during these 12 years, may also have been, we kind of joked about it in the intro, Yeah, sleeping with Gurney or, or finding kind of physical comfort with Gurney Halleck. Yeah. And to be very clear, we here at Gamjabar would do the same in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. God, Gurney Halleck fucks. <laughs> he's so... Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. He's hot. He's an ugly lump of a man. Look at him. But have you heard him on Balisette? <laughs> right. Have you tried licking an ink vine scar, folks? <laughs> it's a turn on. Don't knock it until you try it. You know, I haven't tried that. 
Wow. Uh, surprised. Surprised that I haven't tried that in so many years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a very niche fetish. Sure. But once you're in that community, you're in, folks. There's no getting out. There's a newsletter. It's great. There's a whole it's a whole community. It's a, That kink is, is much... <laughs> All right. To be clear, from everything that Jessica's thinking, especially at the first scene that she's in in messiah her grief around leto's death is solid is real and stays with her her entire life like he is the love of her life to be clear Mm -hmm. and we are not saying in this section we are not saying or joking that jessica replaces leto in her heart and in her bed with gurney halleck no right yeah i think it's clear that gurney halleck also has deep set remorse and sadness around his friend and his duke who dies in this terrible attack on arcane and i think that they as old friends as just mature individuals were probably able to on caladan together find comfort in one another yeah and i think that's beautiful and i think that's mature i think it's lovely absolutely i agree 100 percent. i think that's the correct read on it And to reinforce this idea that Jessica and Gurney had some sort of thing going on, we do have some quotes directly from the books that reinforce this uh, hotly debated topic. (laughs) It's still left up to interpretation, the nature of that relationship, but we at least know that something was going on. Right. The first quote we have is from Children of Dune about Jessica's relationship with Gurney. Sure. Quote, Jessica loved him and prized him above all other living men. End quote. God, that word living is really carrying a lot of weight. <laughs> living is carrying a lot of weight. In her, in her power rankings of men, Leto is still at the top, just like you said. Followed closely by Clareby, <laughs> followed then <laughs> by Holtzman, and then in fourth place is Gurney. Yeah. Right. Right. So among the living, at least, Gurney's pretty up there. Yeah. We joke, but th- this basically confirms that there was something there. I mean, of course, you can love someone platonically. Sure. And it could be just a friendship, uh, shared experiences on Arrakis together. There's a lot of ways you could read into that quote, but it's clear that there was some sort of relationship there. Yeah. Like, pricing him could be as a tactician, right? Because Gurney Halleck is so multifaceted. Yeah. He's a great cog to have in your machine, and he's so loyal, but... Certainly, the phrasing, I think, makes it clear there's more. Yeah. We also find out moments later that he's moving with this kind of self-assured, very relaxed manner. And Jessica observes, oh, yeah, the training I gave him in Prana Bendu muscle control worked. Right. Which is a wild thing to acknowledge. Yeah. That she just casually taught her good old friend Gurney any kind of prana bendu control is insane right also is my guy not dangerous enough already are you kidding me right this is insane already a trapador warrior come on <laughs> yeah she's really uh leveling him up too much you know? so overpowered <laughs> now the second quote we have that reinforces this idea that there's a relationship between jessica and gurney is from leto to himself sure in a conversation between leto and jessica he says in a moment of anger, actually, quote, you ran back to Kaladin to nurse your wounds in Gurney's arms, mm. end quote. Yeah. And 
we have no reason to believe that he is just accusing her of something that's not true. And this, I think, even more than the first quote, reinforces the idea that there was something more than just a friendly work relationship between the two of them. Right. You don't nurse your wounds in your coworkers' arms, or at least you shouldn't. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah, that's definitely uh, defecating where you masticate. <laughs> Could have said that better. <laughs> that's mixing business and pleasure a little bit too much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And the last thing we want to say about this Gurney-Jessica relationship is the encyclopedia. Sure. Has a bit of info on it as well. The encyclopedia, interestingly enough, casts a bit more doubt on whether it was romantic. Right. Here's the full quote. Leto too mentions no such intimacy between the two in his version of the Atreides family history, and that he, other than any but the Lady or Halleck, could best confirm its existence. Until more concrete evidence to the contrary can be uncovered, caution decrees that rumor should be ignored and their comradeship be considered exactly that. End quote. Yeah. And a reminder that the encyclopedia is a fictional historical document within the Dune universe written right, many, right. many thousands of years after the events of the stories. So they are, in this situation, digging up Leto II's journals, his histories, and trying to connect the dots Though famously, Leto too, he is famous for leaving journals curated very carefully. <laughs> Heavily curated. That's a very polite Heavily. way of saying he fucking bullshitted <laughs> in a lot of his journals. He bullshitted for thousands <laughs> of years. Right. And then the honest journals are like, page five. Oh, they were fucking. Man, they had so much sex. It was great. Yeah. It was wonderful. <laughs> exactly. So... There you go. That's probably way too much of a conversation on Gurney and Jessica's relationship that ultimately doesn't amount to much more than um, two people finding comfort in themselves after a horrible couple of years and tragedy on Arrakis. But there it is. Wow. Two people finding comfort in themselves after a couple of years of horrible tragedy. I was like, us? Gamjabar? Is that what you're talking about? Or Oh, on Arrakis. Wow. All right. Yeah. Had me in oh the my first God. half, not going to lie. Is Gamjapar our therapy? <laughs> yeah, I mean, bro, I don't know about you, but <laughs> yep. <laughs> this brings us to Dune Messiah, where, fun fact, Jessica doesn't really appear. <laughs> yeah. We see a letter from Jessica. We hear people talk about her. Moheim drops a crazy diss track, but she doesn't really appear at all. And in fact... Her name only appears, thanks to a saucy ebook search, uh, only 12 times. Wow. 12 times. Yeah. It is the shortest Dune book, but still, she is very much absent from that book. Although, that is not to say that she isn't present in other ways, right? Right. Her presence is certainly felt in this galaxy. Right. There's no way it couldn't be. And even in Dune Messiah, where she doesn't make an appearance, her presence is still there hovering in the background and we actually have this incredible passage that is a letter that jessica wrote during the jihad we don't know exactly what year of the jihad when in those 12 years she wrote this but it gives us some insight into how she sees paul's rule and paul's empire quote despite the special reverence held for kaladin as the place of paul's birth the Lady Jessica had emphasized her refusal to make her planet a stop on the Hudge. No doubt my son is an apocal figure of history, she'd written. 
but I cannot see this as an excuse for submitting to a rabble invasion, <laughs> end quote. <laughs> Holy shit. That's such mom energy. You and your friends yeah. stay in the yard. Don't don't come right. inside. You're going to track mud everywhere. Just <laughs> have your little jihad, but just don't. The beach is nice, all right? Don't fuck it up. Right, right. What, my seventh Don't Mai bring Tai. it here on my seventh Mai Tai. <laughs> Somebody get me an eighth. Gurney. Where's Gurney? <laughs> yeah, it is incredible. It's an incredible flex that Paul's homeworld, the prophet's homeworld, you can easily imagine how that would become a place of religious significance for worshipers in this new galaxy. Yeah. For people that see Paul as a god, of course you want to visit his own planet, and Jessica clearly puts the kibosh on that. This is my planet. Yeah. Don't fuck up my beaches. Somebody get me a daiquiri. You know? Oh, she's mixing it up. Wow. <laughs> I just think it's incredible to see that she is seeing through all of this, right? right. Like, she is like, jihad, what, what is this bullshit? Like, my son is using religion to rule. She is responsible for a lot of that, as we've talked about in the course of the first book and the missionary protectiva, and all of those manipulations that lead to Paul's rule. She has a hand in all of that. Doesn't mean she's going to uh, play her part in it anymore. She's retired. Right. She is so tapped out. Yeah, she's <laughs> like, I've done all of that. I taught you all of that. <sighs> yeah, I need a minute. Exactly. In the letter, actually, she continues. We have a bit more in this quote. It's so good. Where we get... Even more insight into her thoughts on Paul's religious government and how his rule is going. Yeah. Quote, you produce a deadly paradox. Government cannot be religious and self-assertive at the same time. Religious experience needs a spontaneity which laws inevitably suppress. Government, on the other hand, is a cultural organism particularly attractive to doubts, questions, and contentions. I see the day coming when ceremony must take the place of faith and symbolism replaces morality, end quote. Uh, uh, <laughs> wow. God, it's just the best part of Messiah encapsulated in a single little paragraph. Yeah. As you said, cutting to the fucking heart of all of this pomp and circumstance, she's like, I see your fancy building, your high-rise construction, I'm looking at the scaffolding, and I'm telling you that in 25 years, that shit's coming down. Yeah. Plan on it. And it's so good. Just calling out the fact that Paul's rule cannot last forever. This religious government will inevitably crumble in on itself. Right. As so many tyrannical rules do. Because, as you're saying, the, the building analogy is so apt. The foundation of most tyranny is corrupt. Yeah. And cannot hold up the structure's that are built upon it. And that is basically what Jessica is getting at here. The way he has used religion, the way he has used faith and morality to rise to power will ultimately succumb to the cycles that they always do. Yeah. It's kind of a harsh review of your government from your mom, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like she listens to your podcast and then gives you a one-star rating. <laughs> right, mom? Right, mom? Right, mom? No. I think my mom gave us five. Uh, all of this is to say she is actively engaged philosophically, but as a mentor, as an advisor in her children's lives. Yeah, it's just so good. I can't, I'm like still thinking about the different pieces of that little paragraph and it's just so good. Oh, so good. It's so good. Yeah. And thus we move into children of Dune. Yeah. Where 
Cheska's pulled out of retirement for one last job. <laughs> one last job. They dragged me back in. <laughs> they dragged her back in. Yeah. So in stark contrast to Dune Messiah, in Children of Dune, Jessica plays a huge role. She's all over the fucking place. Yeah. And is once again a central <laughs> character in this story. Yeah. She's back, baby. Out of retirement. Right. The very first chapter in Children of Dune where she returns to Arrakis, we get this sense that she is just reeling from this sense of deja vu. Yeah. She is back on this planet that she hasn't been on for decades. And of course, it harkens back to some of the most traumatizing years of her life. There's a great quote from this chapter. How long ago had that been? More than 20 years. She did not like to think of those intervening heartbeats. Time lay within her like a dead weight, and it was as though her years away from this planet had never been. Once more into the dragon's mouth, she thought. End quote. It's so good. Chills. Also, I love that little tip of the hat, you know, the intervening heartbeats measuring time. One of those first moments we get a sense of Jessica's power when she awakens from Dr. Yui's sleeping medicine is counting back her heartbeats to measure that time of her unconsciousness. Mm. Wow, deep cut. So interesting. I mean, again, I, I see this as a clear tip of the hat, you know, Frank to Frank's writing <laughs> saying <laughs> for a Bene Gesserit, time is something that they're constantly aware of. So even more so this feeling of it's like I never left, even though it's been over 20 years, that sense that we all know from our own lives yeah. of, I can't believe it's already 2022. Imagine if you were aware of every heartbeat of the year, Yeah, how much more of a sensation that would be. Yeah. Oof. It's a powerful passage. Yeah. I also just love the way that she sort of braces herself once more into the dragon's mouth. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's that not this shit again meme, <laughs> that that GTA meme. Right. Here we go again meme, whatever it is. Somebody, uh, some, shit. some Gen here we Z tell us. Yeah, there we go. Oh, shit. Here we go again. That's what she's doing here. She's back. <laughs> Just picturing her with the fucking GTA music. <laughs> 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 Walking. <laughs> so funny to me. Anyway. Oh, uh, shit. shit. Here we go again. Wow. She walks with the Prana Bendu confidence. <laughs> She just stole that car with Pranabendu confidence. <laughs> now, a lot of the characters at the start of this book are wondering what we're all wondering. Why is she back? Yeah. What is she doing here? Why would she come back to Arrakis, a planet that she clearly hates right. and never would have wanted to come back to? What could have possibly forced her hand? Right. What brought her back? And. Ultimately, the answer to that question is a whole lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> the main ones being Alia's abomination, which is a bit of a problem. You know, she'd heard rumors that Alia wasn't aging and she's like, fucking excuse me. Right. <laughs> oh, shit. Say again. Say again. Yeah. Her grandchildren, now nine years old, both potentially abomination as well. So you got to be aware of that. And of course, you know, I mentioned earlier at this point, she is back basically in touch with the Bene Gesserit and back basically on board to kind of regain control of this Kwisatz Haderach bloodline breeding program. Exactly. And you might question why, right? She broke off with the sisterhood she 
gave them the middle finger and walked away, why would she circle back? Yeah. And I, I think the reality here is that the universe has gone down a path no one fucking expected. Sure. Because of the decisions that Paul as Kwisatz Haderach and Emperor has made these last 20 years. Yeah. And I think this is why Jessica feels compelled to come back to this horrible planet to throw herself back into imperial politics. Right. Because she sees Alia has become abomination. She is in charge of this empire. She's ruling this empire with even more brutality than Paul's jihad did. Right. Things are not going well. And I think Jessica is compelled not only as Alia's mother, not only as grandmother to Leto and Ganema to check in on her family and to make sure shit's going well, but also as a Bene Gesserit to be like, right, humanity right. is embroiled in chaos right now. Things are not looking good. We need to fix some things. You know, as a reminder, on paper, the Bene Gesserit Sisterhood is a totally defensible organization. <laughs> yeah, right. right. They want control. They want order. They want humanity to do well. They just happen to believe that they would be the best ones to make that happen. Yeah, exactly. Jessica, by removing herself from Arrakis, removed herself from the brutal demands of being at the center of the human species. Paul is having to make these decisions. He gets fucking stoneburnered halfway through the book. Like, <laughs> shit's going wild on Arrakis. Yeah. I imagine Jessica removed from all of that, only writing the occasional letter, getting Pranabendu massages from our guy Gurney. <laughs> I imagine she consoles with her inner voices, her other memory, and she remembers, you know what? On paper, the Bene Gesserit have a really great plan that we get this all-seeing being, we get them in charge, and we basically, you know, we, we do what we've done. We kind of shadow puppet humanity, but to a place that is clearly better than 61 billion people dead, like planets sterilized, religions crumbled, clearly shit's not going the way they wanted it to. And I could absolutely see, given that time with those other voices and with occasional correspondence with <laughs> Irulan and like death threats from Mohan. <laughs> <laughs> All of this to say, I think it's very easy for me, and I think other people might do this as well, to say... Oh, come on, Jessica, you're back with the fucking Benny Gesserit. They're losers. Like, come on. Right, right. But I think that it makes perfect sense looking at the Benny Gesserit's goals and also looking at an objective evaluation that the universe is chaotic, as you said. It's this broiling, fiery mess. Yeah. And it makes sense then that she would say, I'm a little bit obligated as I kind of lit this fucking fuse. Uh, to get back in right back into Exa the i was yeah. just gonna go there <laughs> there's maybe also not just a sense of i need to take care of my children as a benny jesuit i need to fix this but also sure this is my problem <laughs> oops <laughs> yeah i knocked over the china i need to fix this <laughs> i spilled the milk and it drowned 61 billion people <laughs> <laughs> right so there's potentially a sense of guilt and responsibility here as well for Jessica to come back into the fold. Sure. And of course, her instincts are spot on. The preacher, Paul himself, is out here railing against the thing he created, railing against this empire, railing against Alia. Right. And when Lady Jessica comes back, she immediately recognizes that, oh, oh, yeah, the rumors are true. Alia has succumbed to abomination. And as we, the reader, know, 
the Baron is basically running this fucking empire, and his entire goal is to ruin the Atreides name and run this empire into the ground. Jessica's father, lest we forget. Lest we forget. So it makes sense for Jessica to come back and to start partnering with the Bene Gesserit again. Right. There is chaos in this empire. It needs to be controlled. Obviously, her grandchildren play a role in this as well. Later in Children of Dune, she basically has a conversation with each of them and tests them for abomination, comes to the conclusion that they are not possessed like Alia (laughs) is. Both of them are kind of aware of that danger and much more cautious about it. But of course, the risk always exists. They are Kwisatz Haderach children. They are pre-born children. The risk of abomination is extremely high for them. So she is kind of here to try and be this like mentor for them to make sure this doesn't happen. The same thing that happened to Alia doesn't happen here. We also see beyond the fact that her like interview with Leto too is just one of the most iconic chapters in all of Dune. It's so good. It's oh so my God. fucking good. And he's like, no, I'm not, God, I'm not an abomination. Put the fucking Gamjabar away. You're like <laughs> suspicious old lady. <laughs> it's so right. good. But it is, it is a sign as much as I joke about it. We see in that conversation this is her grandchild, who in so many ways is her legacy, and she has a Gamjabar needle under her cloak ready to fucking kill him herself yeah. if she senses that he is abomination. Yeah. It is this urgent to-do list item. Check to see if the kids are, are good. Right. Are the kids all right? Are they all right? <laughs> so this is quickly becoming a Children of Dune <laughs> oh my gosh. podcast. We are swerving off course. So I <laughs> so love that book. There's so much to say. Let's blast through a couple of the other key moments in Children of Dune. Yes. And wrap up this first half of our discussion. Sure. Later in the book, after surviving an assassination attempt from Alia, Jesus, there's so much to say here. Tense chapter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jessica escapes Arrakis with the help of Duncan, ends up on Seleucus Secundus, and begins training Faradin, who is a Carino. <laughs> this is so wild. <sighs> yeah. Uh, I want to say so much more. Anyway, she begins training Faradin in the Bene Gesserit ways. And ultimately, that plot line ends up in a place where House Carino strikes a deal with the Bene Gesserit in which they've agreed that they will help Faradin marry Ganema and support his claim to the throne, thus retaking the throne away from Alia. Right. In short, this whole plot line with Faradin and, the, and Carino and Jessica and the Bene Gesserit is basically an attempt to overthrow Alia and return the throne to not only the Carino Empire, but to maintain control over the Kwisatz Haderach genes through Ganema, right? To combine those Carino and Atreides genes into future children who will rule this empire and future potential Kwisatz Haderachs. Right. It all falls in line with the original plan the Bene Gesserit had before Paul came and fucked it all up. <laughs> Well, actually, before Jessica came and kind of fucked True, it all up. True, before Jessica herself came. Again, there's I, I all through Children of Dune, I have this sense that Jessica is trying to trying to apologize for everything she's done. Right. Yeah. And you know they've got this nice, tidy, sweet plan. Yeah. Everything's going to wrap up perfectly. Uh huh. Sure of it. Uh huh. And then the end of Children of Dune worm is just God! this like worm god. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Your grandson's a worm now. Bam! <laughs> Get fucked. <laughs> it's the most insane series of losses. Big, big, big L's here for uh, for Jessica. It's insane. Yeah. It's wild. And tragic, to be fair. And yeah. tragic. 
Yeah. Surprise. Your son's alive. Paul? Yeah, he's still around. Uh-huh. Oh, wait, he was killed. Mm. You watched it happen. That's yep. pretty tough. Yeah. Your, your daughter, how's she doing? Oh, she throws herself from the balcony of the palace after being possessed by your fucking dad. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's insane. Your grandson, oh, he's covered in worm. He's just a wormy boy. <laughs> Throws like a four-ton door onto some guards. He's a super-powered worm child who marries his sister. Oh, my God. Yeah, oh, my gosh. The end of Children of Dune is absolutely bonkers. There's so much more to be said about Children of Dune. Right. Obviously, we are very tempted to get into it now. Right. But we are going to restrain ourselves and save that for a future book club. We have committed to going through all of the books in our book club series. Mm -hmm. So we will eventually get through Children of Dune and talk about all of these things in more depth. Yep. But I think suffice it to say, the lesson we've all learned from Children of Dune and from Jessica's experiences is, fuck Arrakis, it sucks, <laughs> it's hot, it's dry, bad shit happens here, one star Yelp review. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I got the feeling that Arrakis's Yelp <laughs> rating is pretty low. <laughs> Very few people are like, five out of five, gotta say. Best planet I've been on. Yeah, yeah. After you go to Gamont, especially, it knocks it down right, a star. Right. Oof, Gamont. Oh, oh Gamont. God. Five out of five, indeed. <laughs> you can lick an Inkvine scar there anytime you want. <laughs> so very little is known about Jessica's life after Leto II takes the throne. And I kind of get the impression this is by design. Whether it's her having like clearly seen that she can't really do too much to change the course of history, or Leto II being basically a filter through the Dune Encyclopedia saying, you just don't have access to this information. Right, sort of protecting his grandmother. Yeah, giving her kind of maybe the respite she really genuinely asked for from Paul. Yeah. Like, hey, give me a vacation. And then she proceeded to not take a vacation for 23 years. Yeah. We don't really know a lot about her life leading up to her death, although the appendixes of Dune do list her death as 10,256 AG, which is about like 40 years, I think, after the end of of uh, Children of Dune. Mm -hmm. So that being what it is, you know, she clearly lives plenty of life after that. You know, our speculation is that she probably returns to Caladan and, and <laughs> watches her wormy grandson become more and more wormy, <laughs> knowing basically how fully Leto II humbles the entire universe and institutes, right, Leto's peace, it is very likely that the Bene Gesserit planning that Jessica had become a part of again, an active part of, was shut down in favor of, I don't know, just fucking surviving. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just surviving as an institution under Leto's watch. Also, he like shut down the Mintat schools. Anyway, it's wild. It's just so insane. Right. Right. You can imagine the Benny Gesserit don't really have time for empire-spanning plots. Right. They're just trying to survive. Totally. Yeah. So I like to think that this is the moment where Jessica decides, I've done my piece. I've done my work at the Sisterhood. I'm retiring officially. And we can only hope that within that 40-year span after Children of Dune until her death, she uh, spends it on the beaches of Kaladin with her daiquiris <laughs> and passes away peacefully and quietly right. on that beach, daiquiri in hand. <laughs> uh, quite the scene for the uh, <laughs> attendants to clean up. <laughs> Is she napping? She Man, she hasn't moved in She's, like three hours. <laughs> uh, she, uh, 
She does that sometimes, right? She she did uh, that last like week. A, this is a meditation, like a Benny Gesserit meditation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Prana, 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 something, right? She's doing that prana. Jessica's thing? been out there for four days. Should we check though? Should we check? You got to be the one to move yeah, her. Come uh, d- on, no, dude. You know, you know how she is about being disturbed. She's in retirement. I look, look what she's done for the galaxy. <laughs> we'll give it five more days. Five more days. Yeah, we'll, we'll check in a couple of days. She's she's doing that Benny Gesserit prana stuff. It's fine. <laughs> she, she's meditating. <laughs> It's the ultimate technique, prana death. <laughs> wow, she relaxed her heart so much. <laughs> With all of that said, let's take a quick break. We'll take a 12-year break. <laughs> and when we're back, we're going to talk about a little bit her life and her legacy, the themes of her life, and of course, what she left behind. But first, a quick break. Don't go anywhere. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, folks. We hope you enjoyed that 12-year break we all took. But as always, we have been pulled back out of retirement for one last job. We got to finish this episode. One more part of the episode. (laughs) One more part of the episode. So let's get into talking some big picture thematic ideas surrounding Jessica's life. Right. The encyclopedia calls Jessica the, quote, Imperium's truest hero as well as its greatest woman. End quote. Hell yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. But I think it's clear from part one and now here from our part two discussion of Lady Jessica's life, taking a comprehensive look at what she did throughout her life. Yeah. It's clear that this is true. Yes. She is perhaps the most influential woman in the history of the Dune universe, in this galaxy, in this empire. It goes without saying that her decisions had massive impact on all of human history. Yeah. And so we wanted to take a couple of minutes here to talk about her legacy and the broader themes of her life and what it all may represent, sort of tie everything together. Well, and the first thing we should probably talk about Mm -hmm. is the sort of shorthand phrase that evolved out of reflecting on her life. In other words, the Jessica crime. Yeah. Which is just... Following up that beaming Yelp review, (laughs) this is quite intense, but that she chose to have a son against the Bene Gesserit sisterhood order that she bear a daughter. Right, right. This was a choice that she made, perhaps one of her most significant choices to turn against the Bene Gesserit. Right. We talked about in part one at length how Jessica herself was just one part of this larger breeding program puzzle, right? She's just one piece that is ultimately part of the steps they need to get to this Kwisatz Haderach. Right, yeah. She is the 99-yard line, and they are nearing it. (laughs) Right. But they just need her and a couple of more pieces to get to that end zone. God. Sports, baby. Just just imagine the coach is like, oh, this is a guaranteed touchdown. Look at that. We are right there. It's been hundreds of years. Took a long time, but we're right there. Is that a giant worm? (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh no, the quarterback died. <laughs> this is going badly. Yeah. And the encyclopedia does actually give us some rare insight into what Jessica may have thought about this role that she was given. Mm. Right? This was her destiny. And that doesn't mean she fully bought into it. Quote, in fact, as she sometimes complained, she was raised to be a mere broodmare, an instrument of Benny Gesserit eugenics rather than a person. End quote. Oh, man. Wow. In a universe full of political machinations and of seeing people as elements, seeing people as genetics. Yeah. It is refreshing to have a character be like, wait, no, fuck that. Right. That sucks. Especially for the Benny Gesserit who are testing for humans and they've got all the, <laughs> the Benny Gesserit handbook, you know, the Benny Gesserit Kool-Aid that they're filtering for humans, but then treating humans as cogs. Yeah. Real fucking hypocritical. And it's fun to see Jessica call them out in this way. Right, right. The sense of independence that she clearly has from an early age. It's easy to imagine how this resentment of her role in this larger plan could have played a part in her decision to have a son to not do what she was ordered to do and give lay to a daughter. Obviously, the other part of it, as you mentioned, is her falling in love. She is a person. She is a human. She fell in love with Oscar Isaac, as we all did, with that beard, <laughs> uh. and thus gave him the son and the heir that he desired because of her love for him. And I like to imagine also as a little bit of a fuck you to the Benny Gesserit right. and being forced into this role as, hey, you're the you're the running back we have the, at the 99-yard line. We need you to take this to the end zone. <laughs> and she's like, what if I don't, though? What if I fumble right here? What happens? What a second. What about fuck American football? She, like, throws the ball into the bleachers. <laughs> it's like, oh, God. Yeah. And what's interesting is, is when you blow out the timeline and look at Jessica's legacy long after her death into Heretics, into Chapter House, yeah. this act of falling in love and turning your back on your Benny Gesserit responsibilities, as you mentioned, Leo, gets like a shorthand and is thus known in Benny Gesserit history as the Jessica crime, <laughs> which is brutal. <laughs> Future Benny Gesserits in their history books learn about a thing known as the Jessica crime. Benny Gesserits walk around the halls of the Wallach Nine school being like, hey, don't Jessica crime. <laughs> hey, don't. You better not Jessica crime. I saw you looking at that cute boy. You better not Jessica crime. <laughs> <laughs> Not a noun, it's a verb. Exactly. You know, I was Jessica criming the other day, and God, <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Personally, I love to Jessica crime. <laughs> Yo, it's, it's the best. <laughs> Joking aside, in Heretics and Chapter House, we are seeing, in an almost excruciatingly slow way, the Bene Gesserit struggling to kind of find their place, to redefine their MO, you know, their, their seat at the kind of galactic table, what does the Bene Gesserit look like post-God Emperor, post-Scattering? And can they survive, especially when the Honored Matres come back as a sort of form of, you know, interstellar Amtal role, right? Mm, yeah. Applied as just an ultimate barrier that's going to say, hey, you're either going to fucking get murdered by us or you're not. And we'll find the true nature of the Bene Gesserit through this. But we see characters, so many of them, struggling with this idea of love. You know, Odrade, one of the best fucking characters in the whole oh book. Oh my god, I can't wait to talk about I her. I cannot wait. She's wonderful. But 
you know, these conversations that she has with like Belanda and the idea of love and the idea of that human quality, not as this sort of caricature of disobedience that clearly Jessica's name has now become a part of. Yeah. But instead as a genuine, you know, she just loves her apple trees. She just loves walking through the apples. Yeah. And they're like, I think she's fucking Jessica criming with those apples. It's like, <laughs> no, she's just enjoying life. <laughs> Fuck off. Let her have a Mai Tai. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So many of the characters in these two books in Heretics and Chapter House yeah. are sort of questioning what has always been questioning the status quo and obviously the existential threat of getting murked by the honored matres is forcing them to do this but fucking head kicked off yeah right like they really have no choice but to question like have we should we evolve to survive or, or sh- what's going on here guys? y'all want to be stagnant or not nah? exactly y'all want to stag or what and <laughs> what's interesting is both of these books explore this idea of Characters who are defying convention, who are pushing the boundaries of what is accepted and what is truth and what we know and what we don't and embracing chaos and uncertainty, thinking in these new ways. Right. Yeah. And who does that remind you of? Who does that harken back to? Harken, harkening back to Jessica (laughs) Harkonnen. Jessica. Jessica's. Yeah. Jessica. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I got that right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you did. To maybe give a clear example of what we're talking about. Yeah. In Chapter House, there's a character named Reverend Mother Dortugla. Right. And she was actually sent to this cold, aquatic, like backwater world called Buzzle as punishment for a Jessica crime. She did what Jessica did. Fell in love with a partner, turned her back on her responsibilities. And what's interesting is Odrade then pulls her into her plans against the honored matres she becomes critical to Odrade's plans her larger plans for the future of the Bene Gesserit and the honored matres and it could be argued and i would agree with this argument yeah that jessica's rebellion all those years ago her choice to have a son her choice to fall in love with duke leto has perhaps laid the groundwork for a sisterhood thousands of years later under Odrade's rulership that joins with the honored matres and blows up the existing order of what they used to be for tens of thousands of years. Right. How wild is that to think? It's really incredible. And, you know, to take a step back just for a brief second and to kind of wrap up this point, when I finished Heretics, I struggled to start Chapter House because it was so different from the books that I was used to. And so much of Heretics and Chapter House is these reverend mothers in rooms going, should we? No, we shouldn't. No, we shouldn't. We Should we? And then, like, very little happens. (laughs) Right. Occasionally, you know, occasionally get action scenes and stuff. But it was almost excruciating at times to get through some of those chapters that very first time I was reading, to be clear. Yeah. Shortly after finishing Chapter House, I saw on Reddit this comment, and I literally searched it because I had sent it to you, Abu, and I, (laughs) I found it. And I love it so much because I think this really encapsulates the brilliance of Chapter House and Heretics, again, following this legacy of Jessica. And this is from user Clintonia007 on Reddit, wrote basically that Heretics and Chapter House are, quote, the quintessential struggle between harnessing our wildness and being something more, end quote. 
And in so many ways, Jessica took that very first and most impactful step off of this like carefully curated, constructed plan that the Bene Gesserit had for, you know, humanity's future. She took that first step as a sort of defiant, chaotic move, but embracing love and humanity in a way that the ripples are still on every single page, you know, 4,000 years later Yeah, during Chapter House. Yeah. It's incredible. Huh, it's so good. <sighs> it's so good. I have like goosebumps talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's switch gears a little bit. Sure. And talk a bit more about this Dune Encyclopedia entry, because the encyclopedia does dedicate an entire entry to Jessica. Naturally. Yeah. And... It focuses on these four feminine archetypes that it claims that Jessica embodies through her life. And we want to talk about it. Uh, just a sort of disclaimer, though, this this section in the encyclopedia is a little old fashioned and kind of leans a weirdly little too much into like Jessica as a mother and a woman. And while all of those things are true, it isn't exactly the most uh I guess like 2022 20, levels of wokeness, you could say. Like Jessica as a character is much more than just a mother to Paul. So we want to touch on some of these ideas that is brought up in the encyclopedia. And I think these feminine archetypes are interesting to unpack. But we're not going to go super deeply into everything the encyclopedia says here. If you're interested, we encourage you to check out the section yourself. Yeah. You know, I I like the conversation that is had in the encyclopedia, but it is written in a way that feels like a self-contained TED talk. Yeah. And it's very like weirdly preachy, but kind of misses the mark in some ways. Yeah. 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 I guess to put it in simpler terms, while doing research for today's episode and reading that encyclopedia entry, Leo, I texted you and said, I think McNelly was tripping on acid when he wrote this <laughs> section. It's certainly It possible. is really dense and weird and kind of all over the place. <laughs> yeah or whoever yeah wrote this whoever wrote that yeah. section yeah yeah but you know it does bring up some really good points so let's talk about them obviously you know if we're talking about the jessica crime <laughs> jessica's a mother famously yes her entire purpose within the bene Gesserit plans was as a breeding broodmare she was according to the plan that had been around for hundreds of years right generations and generations of planning was to just give birth to a kid, to a daughter, right? And not even necessarily, I, I, I get the impression, not even be a part of that kid's life as a mother. Yeah. Just to be a baby dispenser of the correct genetic variety. Yeah. And we get this quote about that sort of training and, and that purpose, and in a lot of ways, how narrow that focus was. Yes. But here's the quote, quote, to the sisterhood, Destiny was biology and maternal influence, the strongest of all life forces. Accordingly, Jessica was thoroughly trained for motherhood, end quote. There you go. Which, you know, yeah, like maternal influence being one of the strongest life forces. Hell yeah, I'm right on board with that. But the issue here is that very likely Jessica would have given birth to a daughter who would have been then taken from her to a Bene Gesserit school trained in all these different ways in order to then hook her up with Fade Rautha, right? Mm -hmm. And in so many ways, like I'm kind of sensing with a lot of the Bene Gesserit's posturing, mm -hmm. 
while it's a good idea on paper, in practice, they are in many ways stripping from people that opportunity to be an effective mother figure and to harness that power, which in a lot of ways comes out of love and not out of some weird calculated thing that is taught in school, right? Yeah, exactly. And as we've talked about, Jessica then commits the quote unquote Jessica crime and she has a son. She raises and trains him in the Benny Jesuit ways. She defies Benny Jesuit rules and thusly gives birth to the first Kwisatz Haderach. And this is the first of the four feminine archetypes that the encyclopedia talks about, this idea of embracing the role of mother. And we know that Jessica does that. We talked at length already about the things she goes through to help Paul rise to power in Dune and then to assist him and his rule during Dune Messiah in those intervening 12 years, and then eventually jumping back into the fray to take care of her grandchildren and to address Ali's abomination. That's her being a mother to her children, right? Right. right. That is the first role that she embodies. The encyclopedia then goes on and talks about the second of the four roles that she embodies. And this one, it calls the hetera, I believe is the way to pronounce that. But I had (laughs) never heard this word before reading it for this episode. And thus, I did a bit of Googling. And here's what I found on Britannica. Hetera means female companion in Greek and is defined as, quote, a class of professional independent courtesans of ancient Greece who, besides developing physical beauty, cultivated their minds and talents to a degree far beyond that allowed to the average Attic woman. Usually, living fashionably alone, or sometimes two or three together, the Heteri enjoyed an enviable and respected position of wealth and were protected and taxed by the state. End quote. Fascinating. Man. That reminds me a lot of the Benny <laughs> Jesuit sisterhood. Uh-huh. Yeah. No kidding. You know, this group of women who are cultivating their minds, their bodies, and are well-respected in society. Right. Yeah. That makes sense to me. And, of course, in regards to Jessica, this idea of her embodying this role of the Hetera not only fits under the framework of her being a Benny Jesuit and being trained as a Benny Jesuit, but then also obviously describes her time with the Duke, the 16 years that they spend together and have this loving relationship with each other. Right. She is his partner and advisor through those 16 years together. Right. And we all know that she never actually officially becomes his wife and is only ever the royal concubine and the mother of his heir. So I think even on that level, this hetero role fits in that regard as well. Right. This idea of a quote-unquote professional independent courtesan of ancient Greece, she is not a wife or a duchess officially on paper. She is still a royal concubine. History will remember us as wives, as she tells Chani at the end of the first book. So the second role, I think, is fitting for her as well, considering the Benny Gesserit part of her life and the part of her life where she is partner and advisor to Duke Leto. But also interesting to have something like this as a prescribed box in which someone would be then put, right? Through all of these, it's an amazing analysis of the nuance with which the Bene Gesserit maybe handles some of these archetypal roles, but it's also a testament to how restrictive the sisterhood became with its sisters, if that makes sense. Yeah, 
No, that makes sense. This kind of leads us to our third archetype, which is the Amazon. And of course, if you are a modern fan of the Godot, of the Gal Godot, the Wonder Woman, Amazons were, quote, a legendary race of female warriors believed by the ancient Greeks to exist in Scythia or elsewhere on the edge of the known world, end quote. And of course, this kind of role model of strength, you know, larger than life, almost mythological strength is most obvious when kind of Paul and Jessica make their way into the desert and she <laughs> fucking destroys Stilgar in one-on-one combat. Yeah. Clearly, clearly, yes. You know, her her weirding combat, her Pranabendu mastery, clearly she is incredibly capable of being independent in that way. And honestly, here, just full support. I'm like, hell yeah. I don't, I don't even have a quippy devil's advocate on this. This is, I think, just through and through pretty dope. Yeah, I think, I think this archetype that the encyclopedia brings up fits well. And Jessica does embody these ideals. Yeah. The fourth one is a bit weirder. And this is where perhaps this entry in the encyclopedia gets real acid trippy. <laughs> the acid really kicked in. It kicked <laughs> in. Yeah, it, this, part. this is where um, it definitely started <laughs> kicking in. The final role that the encyclopedia claims that Jessica embodies is this role of medium. Right. And again, this is maybe the weirdest part of it that makes the least sense. But here's what the encyclopedia says in full. Quote, as medium, Jessica bridged the unconscious world and the human community, mediating these vast collectives by her perfectly balanced and tuned self-consciousness. Lady Jessica became medial because the Fremen, seeking a new reverend mother, sent her into a perilous spice trance. Melange catalyzed her evolution. End quote. Yeah. And my interpretation of what this could mean is... Yeah. Basically, the fact that she, after becoming a reverend mother and going through the spice agony, was able to tap into other memory. Sure. And access millions and millions of previous reverend mother memories and lives. And thus incorporated from that point forward a wider range of human history and context and perspective in all of her decisions, right? Right. She was no longer just Jessica, the Benny Jesuit adept, being trained, making decisions. She was reverend mother jessica millions of other reverend mothers in her mind all helping her shape decisions going forward and the encyclopedia also touches on the idea that this fourth aspect this medium was in perfect balance within jessica with the other aspects of her psyche the amazon the hetera the mother she balanced those parts of herself with the millions of other lives within her in a way that protected her from things like abomination she was trained enough to handle that she was self-assured enough to know who she was and what her own belief systems were and she was able to instead of being overwhelmed by these millions of lives utilize them and acted as this perfect medium between the past and the present that's my sort of acid trippy interpretation of what that could mean yeah but it's a little unclear where the encyclopedia was maybe going with this one. Yeah, I was going to say, even the idea of like a spirit medium, that's not weird. That's not strange. Really, the confusing part in all of this is how perhaps Jessica in particular fits into this archetype more so than any Reverend Mother. Exactly. Because 
a lot of what the encyclopedia says in this section is just describing what it is to be a reverend mother. Right. So, yeah, I think I agree with you fully. Just that maybe other reverend mothers make the mistake of once you become a reverend mother, that's your whole personality. (laughs) That's your whole thing. You are top to bottom that medium Mm. and you have lost then contact with the sort of enlightened deeper understandings of the mother role of the hetero role of the amazonian role you get too book smart and you're no longer a fighter you know but jessica kept a perfect balance of the deep embodiment of all of those archetypes in a way that was particularly remarkable that's probably the read on that Mm -hmm. but ultimately all of us saying that this makes the least sense is really just about the way it's written almost reads like platitudes that just don't have any solid meaning and it is hard to understand but i i think i think that's right i agree with what you were saying yeah 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 and we would love to if you have access to the encyclopedia dear listener gamjabar podcast at gmail.com yeah totally you know the best way to get in touch with us we would love to hear other perspectives on this as well particularly this idea that she embodies these feminine archetypes i think as we stated earlier this is sort of an old-fashioned mindset and you know as we in 2022 as a society are starting to grapple with these ideas of gender fluidity and femininity and masculinity existing within all of us and embracing those and accepting those right i think this analysis of jessica is maybe a product of its time it's worth discussing and that's why we wanted to bring it up in today's episode and there are some valid points about how she embodies some of these ideas of the amazon of the hetera of the mother but i think we do also want to acknowledge that uh jessica is much more than just a female character who is feminine in all her femininity and can only embody these feminine archetypes i think in the 60s 70s and 80s the ideas of gender fluidity that we as a society are discussing weren't quite as um, pervasive. Right. And thus, there is no analysis in the encyclopedia of the masculine roles that Jessica could embody or the uh, masculine themes that she could represent. Yeah. Or even just making the mistake of defining her purely by her relationship to the male characters yeah. who were the focus of Frank Herbert's narrative. Exactly. And we'll we'll talk more about that at the end, but th- probably the part of Frank's writings that has aged most terribly is a lot of his sort of like very very gendered conversations around even you know duncan and the fish speakers is like particularly problematic yeah so we'll we'll talk about that at the end um but let's actually move on yes to this next analysis of, of jessica's legacy jessica's golden path Ooh, ooh, yeah this one is i think maybe our contribution to the discussion about Jessica, right? This this feels a bit more personal to you and me, Leo. Sure. This is just us perhaps sharing our personal views on Jessica. Right. At least that's what this section is for me. Sure. For me, I think Jessica, in addition to the things we've talked about, also represents a belief in three things, in embracing the power of love, chaos, and risk. We've discussed how Paul and Leto's visions through their prescient abilities warn against this stagnation of humanity, this risk of falling into the same hateful cycles under the same power-hungry tyrants that we always have and always will. Right. And Leto's two's golden path 
is all about subjugating humanity so thoroughly and so aggressively that they'd remember that feeling in their bones, that they would never again want to go back to that. Right. And thus, his golden path sort of kicks off the scattering, this wild mixing of human genes, and this desire for freedom from tyrannical rule kind of blows up the status quo, which is such a central idea to the Dune saga. Right. And to circle back to Jessica, what I love is uh, Jessica is the hipster who was like doing this way before it was cool. (laughs) You know, she is perhaps Uh the character that embodies this path, this golden path, long before it exists. Decades before Leto 2 is like, worm god, here we go. Let's do it. 3,000 years. Right. She, at the very start of this story, even before the first pages of Dune, pushes against Bene Gesserit conventions. Right. She's defying the Bene Gesserit in many cases, choosing to have a son, committing the quote-unquote Jessica crime, and embracing whatever chaos that might unleash. Right? Right. Yes. That's a decision to which the outcome is not meticulously planned like the Bene Gesserit are known to operate. She follows her own path and breaks tradition and expectation. Yeah, it can be a little hard to see it this way because the Bene Gesserit sisterhood is trying to do something that has never been done before. So in a conversation about galactic stagnation, it doesn't really seem like they're risking that, you know, falling into that pitfall. But when you think about it in the context of this is a plan that they set like hundreds of years ago and just haven't reassessed right (laughs) at any point jessica is one of those first people to say you know what looking at the plan looking at my part of it maybe this isn't the way and also you know maybe fuck y'all yeah maybe my son will be the quisatz hatterack i get those vibes for sure yeah and and it is that sort of they set humanity or they set their plan to cruise control which is in its own way a kind of stagnation. They've decided how they're going to try to change humanity and they're not reassessing. Right. And Jessica made the choice for them. We need to change this up. And not necessarily to define her legacy based on her children, primarily her male line, you know, Paul and then Leto too. But that is the golden path and that's humanity's survival. And it all comes down to literally Jessica taking the car out of cruise control. Yeah. Because that was going to lead humanity to probably extinction. Yeah. Now, that I love that analogy of the car and cruise control, and it takes someone like Jessica to come along and be like, skirt, you know, pull the brake. <laughs> yeah. We need to reassess. We need to rethink. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one part of the golden path, right? This idea of stagnation, of right. changing the ways we have done things, because maybe we need to question the status quo. The other part of the Golden Path, of course, is this very anti-power, anti-tyranny message. Leto, too, is the worst tyrant in human history as an example of, don't do this. (laughs) Don't allow tyrants like me to rule. And to Jessica's credit, she's also out here, like, pulling some anti-tyrant shit long before Leto 2 is. Because in Children of Dune, she is attempting to overthrow Alia, who has succumbed to abomination, but also is tarnishing the Atreides' name right. by her brutal, like, religious grip on the Imperium. She is, by definition, a tyrant. Yeah. And so Jessica's 
act of perhaps wanting to overthrow Alia, while there may be many different motivations for it, does come back to this core idea that the Atreides should not be tied to this horrible idea. Tyrants are not a good thing. And so we need to stop this from happening. Yeah. I don't know. This might be us reading too much into it. Oh, sure. But I just love this idea that long before anyone even utters the word golden path, Jessica is seemingly already living it, embracing love, embracing chaos, embracing uncertainty, and blowing up the status quo, changing things up that have not been changed up for centuries. And ultimately, these are the ideas that not only Frank is championing in his stories, right. but Leto too is trying to teach any universe to humanity right. in order to ensure their survival. And to me, in some ways, that's beautiful. Yeah, totally. It might be reading too much into it, but it's beautiful, and Jessica's awesome, and just let us have this one, listener, okay? Back the fuck up. Yeah, back up. <laughs> Why are you listening so aggressively? Come on, let like, us have turn, this. Turn the volume down, bro. Get out of our face. Let us have this. Jessica's awesome, and she is on the golden path way before it was cool. You know... As you were as you were talking, I was thinking about very early on she talks about she kind of completes a thought that we get from Pardo Kinds, saying, you know, with religion and government in the same cart, you're unstoppable, right? And she completes it, and I think it's a Benny Gesserit axiom, but it's still just it comes from Jessica. She's the one that gives it to us. And this idea that yes, the cart builds momentum, but then you don't see the precipice until you're over it, right? Yeah. And it's incredible that that wisdom comes from the Bene Gesserit because clearly the Bene Gesserit were succumbing to that. They had their missionary protectiva. They had their momentum as an organization. And people like Gaius Helen Moheim are going, oh, no, we're good. We're good. Look how fast we're moving. We're almost there. This is great. And Jessica sees the precipice. And even if she doesn't say, I'm going to have a son to save humanity, <laughs> She certainly makes those choices, adjusts the trajectory of the cart, so to speak. And through that, you're right, topples tyrants kind of permanently. <laughs> yeah. It's great. But still, y'all don't have to listen so aggressively, <laughs> listener, all right? Back up. <laughs> Back up. And go to your keyboards, type gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com and share your thoughts with us too. But back up first. <laughs> yeah. Let, let, let us know what you think. <laughs> yeah. Kind of to wrap up, there is, as always, more to say about Jessica. You know, if we, if we sought out to write an episode script that said everything there is to say about Jessica, first of all, we'd inadvertently start a new podcast. Second of all, it would be hours and hours and hours and hours, and we still wouldn't get everything. Yeah. Because... All of this is ignoring Brian's writings. It's also ignoring just single word hints here and there. So I want to turn this to you, listener. If there's something that we missed, whether it's something that you kind of believe and we haven't voiced your take on the show, or it's a detail that we missed or got wrong, let us know. I like this best when this is a conversation more than just me and Abu. So let us know. Yeah, definitely. So for now, we're going to leave the conversation about Jessica there, but this is Gom Jabbar, baby. <laughs> we wouldn't leave you without one more thing. Call us Steve Jobs. <laughs> Let's wrap up today's episode with a pair of questions. Sure. One serious, one silly. Sure. First up, Leo. Yeah. There's been a lot of discussion 
This is the serious question, by the way, <laughs> to be clear. <laughs> yeah. There's been a lot of discussion around Jessica ever since the film has come out about her character needing to be updated right. to modern standards. Now that we have done this epic research and deep dive across two episodes into Jessica's character in the novels, in the extended lore, what are your thoughts on that? I'm curious what you think. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Does Jessica's character need to be updated in any way to fit modern sensibilities? Or should she be left as is? Yeah. In future adaptations? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you can't write a character who is as deep and nuanced as a real person. So any character in a book is going to be some form of simplification and caricaturization, right? If the caricature or if the understanding of like what it is to be a woman or be a is rooted in a time and a place, that is really oftentimes what leads to this sort of problem of what does it mean to be a man in the 1960s? We read that in 2022 and it's like, oh man, that is that that is toxic and unhealthy. Woo, you know. So just my opinion. I think it's it's well documented that Frank Herbert wrote Jessica not even necessarily as a sort of caricature within his story, right? Just this female-shaped cog who would serve female purposes. But in a lot of ways, he wrote Jessica as, as Beverly Herbert, as his late wife, mm -hmm. who by all accounts was his better half, was like the most incredible person in the world. Yeah. And considering that Jessica is this sort of love letter to Beverly and this embodiment of this woman that he deeply loved and respected, and in many ways, you know, she would advise him in his writing. And, and again, there's there's so much about Beverly's role in Frank's life. Um, it's clear to me that Jessica was not a sort of two-dimensional caricature of, you know, a 1960s fictional woman. And while her legacy and significance is, of course, tied to Paul, her decision to have Paul was one that she made. It was not someone telling her. In fact, she was being told by the Benny Gesserit sisterhood, don't do that. And she did anyway. And so that all of this comes from a place of her agency and her decision is profound. And I think worth remembering as we reflect on her character as a whole in 2022. Mm -hmm. But that sprawling mess of words is my thought. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what about you, Abu? Well, let me hit you with this sprawling mess of words. Buckle up. <laughs> Uh, I agree, for the most part. Sure. I agree. I think, especially after having discussed Jessica, I'm starting to recognize how truly fleshed out a character Frank wrote, and considering she is one of the leading ladies of this story, right? Yeah. She is one of the most prominent female characters in the entire saga, at least up until Heretics and Chapter House, where Adraid and Belanda and some other Benny Gesserits take over that leading role. Tar and Dar, yeah. Exactly, Tar and Dar. At least in the first three novels where Jessica plays a role, she is the most prominent female character. Right. And I think after having talked about her now for hours and having done research and dug into online theories and the encyclopedia and going back to the books and pulling quotes, I'm starting to appreciate her character even more Right. after these episodes today, even more than I already did. She, I already loved her character in the stories. And- 
I can understand folks wanting to update her character in modern adaptations to maybe fit a new mold of what it means to be a woman. Sure. Both on screen and in stories, in modern storytelling. Sure. I can understand that instinct, but I think there is a correct, delicate way to tweak. And then I think there is a incorrect hammer to the glass way to really ruin her character. Sure. And perhaps that's my sort of ultra Dune fandom speaking where I'm like, no, this thing I love is so precious. Don't mess with it. Right. But I think Denny, presumably he will be the one to carry the story through Dune part two and Dune Messiah as he wants that trilogy. Right. I think if we're talking movie adaptations or even TV show adaptations, HBO's sisterhood TV show, I think Jessica's role can be expanded upon. Right. But I don't think her role needs to be changed significantly. Yeah. I think small tweaks where necessary to, like we've talked about, maybe make her role less reliant on only the male characters in her life, right? I would love to see expanded scenes of her in conversations with her sisters. Right. Maybe where she pushes back on the sisters, right? Right. She is perhaps commanded, like, you must have the daughter, you must do this, you're going against her training, blah, blah, blah. And she pushes back on those ideas, as we talked about. She embodies this golden path idea of breaking the status quo. Right. I would love to see that. That's not her relationship with only the men in her life. That's her relationship with the sisterhood, which is a deeply important part of her upbringing and her life. Those are the sorts of tweaks and expanded parts of Jessica's life that I would love to see in future adaptations. What I wouldn't like to see is a complete restructuring and destroying of her character in these stories. Right, right. Because I don't think it's necessary. I think in, frankly, a shocking way, her character even holds up to 2022 levels of wokeness. I think so, too. Yeah. That doesn't mean there aren't valid criticisms. We've brought them up. Sure. Right. There are some weird ideas of gender that Frank gets into. We've discussed on the podcast before. In the future, once we get to God Emperor, we'll talk about <laughs> yeah. some of the weird uh -huh. ideals that Duncan has and the fish speakers, some of the weird things that Leto says. There are valid criticisms to be said. 100%. With Frank's storytelling and how he treats female characters and even the idea of women in his universe. Yeah. But I think with Jessica, maybe because of Beverly's influence, like you've said, she is an incredible character that I think does not need to be overly tampered with. And if anything, we need to see more of her being more of herself as we know her in the books, if that makes sense. It totally does. And I agree. I it, It's funny talking about Jessica living up to 2022 wokeness. I agree. In fact, in a lot of ways, I almost see Jessica as a character and her role in the 1960s book and the, in the 70s as well of recognizing maybe the implicit feminism of the Benny Gesserit sisterhood. But Jessica going, yeah, like I get we're in control, but you're treating me like a breeding vessel for children. Like, right. That's not having agency. Right. I'm a person. I'm a person. And in 2022, as we have these conversations around gender roles, you know, like broadly, I struggle with elements of masculinity. A conversation around departing from these classic roles does not mean that we should then restrict people from personal choice and expression. Right. Yeah. And I think Jessica embodies that freedom to choose for yourself. Yeah. And not letting old institutions, whatever they are,
dictate for you your personal choices. And that's dope. <laughs> like, that's so good. Yeah. And that's Jessica. Yeah. Like, that's Jessica of House Atreides, of the Harkonnens. She's great. She's great. <laughs> She's so good. TLDR. Okay. So one more question, and this is the silly question we want to end today's episode on. Sure. Leo, if Jessica were to teach you the voice, if she were to go against her Benny Gesserit rules and teach you Benny Gesserit techniques, one of which is the voice, uh-huh. with that power, with that immense power, what's the first command you would issue and who would it be on? You know, um, <laughs> I think I think I would go to my like survival job. I have to be careful the way I phrase this. <laughs> and I would use the voice to have one of the highest managers in the store to just approve unlimited paid time off. Hello. <laughs> so that my whole life could be creative freedom. And then behind the name of this like high ranking person. I need to think of anybody at my job listens to this. <laughs> uh, yeah. So... I would use the voice. I would issue a command to get unlimited paid time off. Okay. From from uh from my job. That's <laughs> incredible. Uh, incredible. Sounds good to me. What about you? Blow up the status quo of capitalism. Hey. Jessica would be proud. I listen. I aspire to make Jessica proud. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I live for. What about you? What uh what what voice commands are you doling out? Well, Leo. Like the saying goes, great minds think alike and hate capitalism. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly, I kid you not, where my mind went as well. Yeah. If I had the voice, I would go straight to my manager and do two things. <laughs> I would voice my manager into giving me an incredibly absurd raise. <laughs> sure. And then giving me an incredibly absurd sabbatical. Nice. Like a years long, decades long sabbatical. <laughs> Along with the raise, so that exactly like you, I am in a position where I am free from the chains of capitalism. My bills are paid for. There's a roof above my head. All I get to do is creative endeavors. And by that, I mean all I get to do is talk, dune, read, dune, play, dune, talk, dune, over and over and over in a cycle until I die. I was going to say, is all of this us pitching our Patreon page <laughs> free us from the chains of capitalism by becoming a patron. <laughs> Man, you know, actually, honestly, my first thought with this question was, how do I get to a place where I could command Bezos to just give up a lot of his money? You know, oh, but the 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 limitation of the voice, of course, is that you have to say it <laughs> to them, and I'm like, I don't think. It'd be very easy for me to get into the same room as right. How do I get him on the phone? Yeah, exactly. Does it work over the phone? I don't think we. Get... I think it would be harder to register him over the phone because you do have to register him first that's as a Benny Jesuit. That's you know? true. Or, or rather, I think you have to register him if you know it's going to be successful. Yeah. Like I think you can kind of blind voice like the way Paul does when he's like the preacher and he's talking to the people. Right. But. Right. If you want to like... Ah, look at us getting into deep oh. lore shit again. This was Damn supposed it. to be a silly question. <laughs> just to end the Fuck. episode on a silly note. Uh, getting sidetracked uh, by lore again. Free cookies at the bakery. Uh, give, make someone give, them, give me their dog. <laughs> I don't know. What? 
I want I want a dog. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> I won't take Koji. Don't worry, Koji's safe. Yeah, he's mine. You don't you don't get to have him. If you use the voice on me, bro, I'll fucking use the voice back on you. Oh no, <laughs> it's a voice. Don't off. come at me. It's a voice off. Is that what <laughs> on the, the show, next the season voice of about? The Voice on NBC? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the man. ultimate Benny Jesuit competition. <laughs> the Benny Jesuit singing competition. <laughs> the voice. <laughs> <laughs> the judges are like, I didn't Holy like shit. that at all. And you're like, yes, you did. And they're like, I think I did. <laughs> That's how you win. <laughs> Except Gwen Stefani, oh as God. we all know, she's immune to the voice. But... Oh, yeah, clearly. Oh, my God. Totally immune. <laughs> Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic, so help spread the word of Mwadib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, he who controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the Golden Path. That's right. And uh, you know what? Let's start at the very end. <laughs> the year she died, folks. <laughs> Wait, I'm confused. Why is this here? This feels like a weird place to have that. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I was like, why, why are you saying it like that? Oh, it's because I wrote the script like this. <laughs>